The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's the Four Horsemen. All right, welcome, friends and enemies who are tuning in to the Four Horsemen podcast. Actually, today we're the Three Horsemen podcast. Uh, We're short one. Um, I think it was supposed to be Adam's week. Don't quote me on that, but if it is, he needs to get his priorities straight and get in here. Amen. I mean, come on now. Um, We're so glad that you've joined us here today. It is, by my reckoning, September the 27th, 2021. And um, I'm looking forward to our discussion today. We're going to kind of be piggybacking off of last week's discussion, which was about uh, politics and uh, various issues within the culture that are bleeding over into the church. Of course, we give the disclaimer that the opinions that we give on this program do not necessarily reflect the churches in which we pastor Uh, We even may disagree with each other. You may disagree with us, and that's okay because we are trying to cultivate a culture uh, of not cancel culture but of discourse and dialogue where we uh, discuss these heated topics in a way that's um, Christ-like and honoring and respectful of each other. I am Derek McCarson, and I'm so glad to be here today, caught in between the two bins. So over on my right, I've got Brother Ben Heisey pastor at uh, Pole Creek Baptist Church. Tell the people, hello, Mr. Ben. Hello, everyone. Honored to be here. Yep. And then we've got over here, Mr. Benjamin Kerfman. He's our technical guru, the mad scientist that puts it all together. I only take credit if it works. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And he's a pastor out at Barberville Baptist in Waynesville. Two great guys looking forward to talking about uh, today's topic, which is division in the church. So I'll lead things off. Uh, with a quote by the great Adrian Rogers, who has long gone on to be with the Lord. But he said this. He said, quote, The devil would rather start a church fight than sell a barrel of whiskey any day. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you feel about that, but I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, We're talking about church division today, which really is nothing new. Especially if you are a student of the Bible, the New Testament letters deal with Divisions of all kinds, uh, doctrinal divisions, cultural divisions, uh, even interpersonal divisions that happen within the church leadership of the first century. Uh, We could go to several books in the New Testament and talk about that issue. For instance, in uh, Galatia, the problem that Paul was dealing with there was legalism and uh, what to do about uh, the law and uh, what do, what does it mean to be a Christian? Do you have to you know go back to the law? And he's dealing with that problem that was in the church at Galatia. Or you could go to Colossians. There was division there about um, false doctrines being taught. Some people were worshiping, worshiping angels. Other people were caught up in asceticism, things like that. Paul writes the Colossians to to clear that issue up. Or you go to First John, another great letter about doctrine, where John is dealing with Gnosticism, a first century cult, uh, probably one of the first challenges to the church. Uh, You could go through the book of Corinthians, which really is the 
Church Gone Wild book, First uh, Second Corinthians. Uh, if you think your church is messed up, just read uh, the Corinthian letters, and you will take comfort that your church is not nearly as wrecked and sideways so true. as theirs were. <laughs> Although times are changing, yeah. But um, even Paul, as great as a man of God as he was, um, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived, uh, Paul, he had interpersonal conflicts. He didn't always get along with uh, the guys that he was teamed up with. You remember in Acts, I believe it's 13, where he and Barnabas have to separate mm-hmm. over the issue of John Mark. Now, later on, I think they did get that resolved, and, and Paul did um, bring Mark back into the fold, so to speak. Um, or you could talk about some of the conflicts that Paul had with other people in the ministry. I think there was a guy named Alexander the silversmith who he talks about briefly in Second Timothy who did him much harm. So there was division in the first century just as there is division today. Historically, if, if you really want to sum up church history, it's going from one church fight to another, really, going all the way back to um, uh, the... Um, the creeds, getting the uh, the creeds together, uh, the Nicene Creed was a debate about doctrine, about over the deity of Christ, um, infant baptism, uh, inerrancy. Recently, in in uh, you know the last century, uh, of course, the Reformation. <laughs> we're still living in the wake of that right. uh, great split that happened off of that. But today in America, um, the churches is severely divided. I don't think anybody contends against that. Um, We're not divided necessarily over maybe some of the petty issues that the church gets a bad name for, like a church split over that because they can't agree on the color of the carpet that they're going to put in the sanctuary. True. Or whether they're going to serve decaffeinated coffee or caffeinated coffee in the fellowship hall. Or some of the stupid things that churches end up getting uh, bent out of shape about and, and uh, all those kinds of things that we hear the horror stories about. But really, there are deep divides in the church today. We're divided politically. Uh, it's red versus blue, Trump versus Biden, conservative versus progressive. Uh, we talk about some of that issues here on the podcast. We're divided doctrinally. Um, wokeism has become the new fad, and it's infiltrated the church. Uh, so critical race theory is a big problem in churches today, and We've got churches pointing fingers at each other, calling one not woke enough. You're not you're not woke enough uh, for some. There's LBGT issues within the church. How, how inclusive are we going to be over some of those issues? Um, and then culturally, just recently, 2020 and 2021 has been tough, to say the least, um, where the body of Christ has been divided. First, it was over masks, right? Mm-hmm. Those who wore masks um, were being compassionate and caring for other people, and those who um, didn't wear masks, uh, well, they looked at those who did and said, well, you don't have enough faith, right? right? So you need to trust God more. So uh, the body of Christ has been tearing itself up over masks and over vaccines the same way. Yep. Um, so there's no shortage of division today, and uh, that's the can of worms we're going to open up here, and I want to hear you guys' thoughts, opinions, experiences testimonials and so on on all this. First question I'm going to give over to uh, Ben to my left would be, uh, why are we so divided? Where where does this come from? Uh, That's a good question. I think um, 
one of the things I said in the message yesterday is, you know, scripture, there's only one interpretation of scripture, but there's many applications. Mm -hmm. And so some people would disagree with that, but I think we can prove that they're wrong Mm -hmm. um, about that. But um, so then the question is, if we're all interpreting scripture the same, then why, like you said, why the division? Why different denominations? Why different political views? Why these kind of things? It really comes to the application. Now, if you just deny the biblical interpretation, then, you know, we're just not even playing the same game at that point. So you really can't argue with somebody, for instance, like a, like inerrancy. Like if we can't agree on the same standard that we're even arguing from, mm-hmm. it's kind of a waste of time. But let's assume that we do. Like in our churches, you know, we're all in Baptist churches here. So the people in our churches are Baptists. They agree on Baptist doctrine. They agree on the inerrancy of the Bible. If they don't, they shouldn't be a church member. Right. But assuming that they all do, they do still have these different opinions. So so why is that? I think it comes in the application of I, I see a truth or a principle in Scripture, and I'm trying to figure out how do I apply that practically, uh, and, and and how do I form a worldview based on those principles? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about how you know Scripture contains everything for life and godliness. So everything you need to know about being saved, you can find in the Bible. And everything that you need to know about living a godly life, you can find in the Bible. But Paul also makes statements like, you know, to him who knows to do and does not, to him it's sin. Well, then he's making a case that there are things that are sin for some people that aren't for others. Mm -hmm. So then when you're applying that truth of Scripture, you can apply it for uh, in different ways on issues like, like for instance, uh, alcohol is a big one for Baptists, right? Mm-hmm. For some people, it is absolutely a sin for them to consume alcohol. For other people, they may argue that it's not, and there can be a debate and a conversation there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you put things like Christian liberty in the mix, which we've done episodes on in the past, mm-hmm. uh, that can complicate things. Legalism is a lot is a lot easier to bring unity around, but it, it's not really biblical when you get into legalism. And so I think, like you said, Derek, I mean, you pointed out in history, this has always been a thing of everybody coming to the table, you know, council of Nicaea. Okay. We agree that the Bible is the word of God. This guy's teaching this about Jesus. This guy's teaching this about Jesus. Let's go to the scriptures and reason with one another and try to come to a conclusion on what does the word of God actually say. That's right. And that's part of what we do in this podcast. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we, have had different uh, views on things and we've walked away still having different views, but the conversation is important because I should have a, 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 if I'm in in the same position that I start in, I should at least feel stronger in that position or I should have more respect for somebody that has a different position that, you know, okay, maybe I don't agree with their presuppositions or I don't agree with the details of it, but I can respect that person. Uh, you know, for instance, you know, uh, Dennis isn't here, so I can talk about him. But, you know, uh, if you go back and look at our eschatology episodes, uh, Dennis is dispensational. I'm not. I don't agree with dispensationalism. I have issues with it. But after talking with him about it and hearing the arguments from Scripture, I do have more respect for that position. And so we can be brothers and say, hey, you know, you if you get raptured out, just tell me you told me so on the way up. I'm not going to care because uh-huh. we're both going, you know. <laughs> right. um, and so that that's where we want to get around these kind of issues. But it gets really hard with, like, like for instance, you miss, like, mentioned, like, masks and vaccines. That's the real trick is what what do you do kind when of gray it becomes areas a health issue? Where maybe right? the scripture doesn't speak yeah, what, what you eat, What you eat and drink in your house and the way you raise your kids is none of my business. And if your conscience is clear about that and you're being biblical with that, then we can disagree on that. But what happens when my conscience, when, when you're being told that my conscience affects your health, mm-hmm. your personal health? 
that's that's when it gets really complicated of the stuff of you don't really love your neighbor or you don't really trust God or you don't and then you're making these moral accusations against people instead of a of a preference thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good point there, Ben. Um, difference of interpretation. We're all coming to Scripture through our own lens, our own bias, worldview, um, experiences, and so forth, and that's going to color our interpretation. Mm-hmm. Like you said, though, it's important sitting down having that conversation rather than ripping each other apart and assuming you know what the other person, where they're coming from, or making that knee-jerk reaction comment on Facebook that gets mm-hmm. us into all kinds of trouble. Oh, yeah. So what do you think, Ben? Why are we so divided? Well, I think it all goes back to um, Eve's situation in the Garden of Eden. I think it's really an authority issue. Um, within churches, I think there's an issue with congregants in general really following the authority of the pastors, the God, God's elders that he has ordained to lead that congregation. I think what it always goes back to is what I want, you know, mm-hmm. what I like. What mm-hmm. makes me feel comfortable? And that all goes back to, I, I know you guys talked about this a lot last week, is Christian nationalism. Uh, American Christians view church life through an American lens. So they have certain standards and expectations of what church is supposed to be without understanding, considering what was church life like in the first century. Mm-hmm. You know, we might be worried about, is the air-conditioned thermostat set on the right temperature, whereas our first century brothers and sisters were worried about, our Roman centurion is going to bust down the door and cut our heads off, mm-hmm. you know? And then we think even through the lens of uh, North Korean brothers and sisters, our Af- Afghan brothers and sisters, um, American Christianity is not Christianity. You know, Christianity is, is for all cultures and for all peoples and for all nations. And I think when our church families begin to understand that they are looking through such a narrow lens, then they'll stop fighting over such petty things. And they'll start thinking about, wow, there's actually a heaven and a hell and there are eternal souls that are going to spend forever in one of those places. Mm-hmm. So let's not focus on should we have um, this in our lobby or not, or should we allow women to teach Bible? I mean, all these different things are important topics, but let's focus on the main thing. In most of our churches, we spend more time focusing on things that actually have no eternal value than we do on what about this trailer park beside my church that's full of lost people? Mm -hmm. And how many of our people in our church have actually gone over there and intersected their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think it it, it starts with an authority issue. It starts with our people understanding that this isn't isn't about them individually. The Mm -hmm. church is not about them coming to be served. It's about them coming to serve. And I think, too, a lot of our congregations are full of lost people. You know, Amen to that. You know, and I mean, people come because they want to be served. It's it's a seeker-sensitive type situation. And, you know, you preach five minutes too long, and you're getting emails about it. Mm-hmm. You know? I did seven yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Seven minutes yeah, too long? and I got a compliment. Oh, good for you. <laughs> good for you, man. And and mo- most people are, are, are cool about that. But I, I get people right, you know, yeah. complaining about that. And I'm thinking, you know, if you go to India as a missionary, and you're starting to preach to these people, and you stop... At two hours, they're mad because oh, they yeah, walk oh, yeah. twenty five well, miles you come to hear over you. here. Yeah, it's like I wasted my time if all you're going to do is preach two hours. Mm-hmm. So Americans are weak. Americans are spineless. Americans don't have a true understanding of what Christianity is. And uh, I heard a, a wise man say this not too long ago. He said, "Strong men breed weak men." And I think that's what we've seen is is that we you know the greatest generation, those men who were willing to to fight for the safeties and, and the freedoms of their families 
have now given way to weak men who are enjoying the luxuries of all of that and are expect it now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think history shows that persecution and pain and suffering breed strong Christian men. Prosperity, on the other hand, always makes, makes is where Israel way. got in trouble. That's right. And it always brings down the church. Amen. Makes us lazy, yep. lackadaisical, yep. lukewarm. Mm-hmm. What other L's can I? Laodicean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that dog will hunt. There you go. That'll preach. You listening, brother, (laughs) brother Dennis? Alliteration. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and here's the thing too. I'm not going to go to church because I'm afraid I'm going to catch a virus. We've got Afghan brothers and sisters who are going Mm -hmm. to church knowing that they could lose their heads, Mm -hmm. and many of them already have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you if you look at the 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 death rate of Christians in in closed countries compared to the death rate of COVID. Oh it's, yeah, it's a lot more. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot higher risk. And again, that's not minimizing. You know, we all know people that have died from of COVID. Course. You know, yes. And so we don't we don't take it lightly. No. But it it, it really comes down to to risk assessment of mm-hmm. every which we do in every area of our every life. area Priorities. of our lives. And, and there's no area of our life really that we just say, um, you know. One percent risk is just too much. I mean, I mean, I don't know about a lot of other things. I mean, you can't you can't invest in stocks or a bank, you know, without you can't taking get your more car risk and drive down the road. Right, and so it's one of those things where uh, and and here and here's the thing that makes that issue tricky of what we were just talking about, Derek. Is uh, it's different for everybody. That's what makes it hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a one size fits all. There's for some, some of these. There's some people in my right? church. Mm-hmm. There, there's some people in my church that with their immune systems and all that, they don't need to be in church right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big advocate for do everything that you can to be in that building on Sunday morning. Amen. But there's some people that if they came at, out of their love for the Lord, I would tell them, listen, I love you and I'm glad that you want to be here, but it may not be okay for you to be here because of your health. Right. And so right. Um, at the same time, I see other people that, you know, have a very low chance of anything bad happening to them. And, they're so the 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 damage that their life is taking from the fear is greater than the damage would be mm-hmm. if they actually did get COVID. Exactly. And I and I can say that as somebody who's actually been through that personally. My whole yeah. family's at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fun. I don't wish it on anybody. Not at all. But at the same time, um, I feel a lot of freedom now on the other side of that. Of you can cough on me and shake my hand, do whatever, and I'm good. But yeah. So Ben. Um, I you pointed out basically what I think what your answer boiled down to is preference, selfishness, oh, yeah. self-centeredness. Yeah. self um, That's why we're divided because it's all about me. That's right. And what I want rather yeah. than putting the mission ahead. Right. Amen. I think maybe another reason why we're so divided is because we are living in a time period where people are pretty much miserable. Um, and I'm not saying that that's unique. There's been a lot of misery throughout all of human history, but um, when you think about how much uh, information is coming toward us politically um, at 24-7 news cycle, when you think about social media and what it does to people's minds, and when you think about the fact that we're kind of always on edge and have been made that way, kind of been programmed that way through the media diet that we're on, um, I think that's another thing that you have to, you, you can't ignore, right? We're divided because we're we're being kind of conditioned to be that way. That's right. And um, 
that bleeds over into the church, right? We The people bring that in to the service or into the deacon's meeting or whatever. And so you, what you've got is kind of a confluence of things here happening um, in our culture. So, And, of course, when it comes right down to it, the base answer and the easy answer is sin, right? We're divided because we're sinners. <laughs> right, that's right. And um, that's the nature of sin is to fight and devour one another, as Paul said. Um, and so um, really it's dealing with our own sin nature. Now, we would agree there's some there's some things that it's better to be Divided by the truth and united in error, right? We're gonna we're gonna be divided about that's right gospel issues, doctrinal issues like that are un uncompromising. Mm-hmm. Um, so good answers, uh, and I appreciate that. Why are we so divided? So, uh, next question I was thinking about um, is so I gave a list of some of the the things that the church is dealing with today, whether it be COVID or whether it be CRT or whether it be um, LBGT inclusion, um, or uh, like they talked about last week, um, American Christianity. What of those issues do you see is the most dangerous today in terms of unity, in terms of doctrinal purity, and and to the church? Which one of those, I mean, they all have their dangers, but which one do you think is the one that really we can unite against together as a common enemy, again, we should all as uh, Bible believers really get united around and say, yeah, this thing's got to go. I would say any attacks on the family unit, Mm -hmm. which um, most naturally I think would go to LGBTQ plus XYZ, all the, all the above stuff. Yeah. You know, because (laughs) growing and it'll never stop growing because there's no, you can't systemize Mm -hmm. that. Because mm-hmm. it's it's a never ending uh, abstract view of you know your existence. It's you got to use the right pronouns, right? That's right. Well, one day you'll have a you'll have to SQ because people who want to be squirrels should get to define themselves as a squirrel. You know, so it just continues to go on and on and on. Um, I was actually watching a service from a, a church here in Asheville, and I'll just go ahead and say it: First Baptist Asheville. And um, of course, they still got the name Baptist on their front sign. Mm-hmm. But you watch a service, and at the end of the service, they're accepting um, homosexual men into their membership. You know, mm-hmm. so they've been, Ben's going in. He's not playing. They've been off the chains episode. for a long time, brother. We what now? They've been off the chains for a long they time. They have, and you know, I think we as Bible believers should call out heretics, right? Sure. I mean, and and, and yeah. that is certainly what we in are. love. In love, that's right, that's right. But uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, was not short to do that either. And I think uh, people should know too that um, if you want to hear a. Bible preaching. There are some places in Buncombe County that you should Avoid not go. Avoid like the yeah. plague, yeah, <laughs> and Haywood County. Yes, mm-hmm. that you yeah. should not go. And I and I will not, uh, you know, be slack in saying that. But you know that they welcomed uh, an openly gay man into their membership. And what I've always told our people at Pole Creek is, is I don't care what lifestyle you have, you are welcome at Pole Creek. There's a place in our sanctuary for you every Sunday morning. But if you choose to be a membership and unite with us um, in in our church membership you've got to be born again and there's got to sure. be a time and place where you've been baptized by immersion and you've got to have that example in the community, uh, as a, as a Christ follower. So, you know, I, th- I think it, it all always goes back to the family breakdown and the LGBTQ uh, situation is an attack on God's design in the family. And once you attack the family and once you break down the family, then the rest of society easily follows. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what we've got, whether it's fatherless homes or whether it's you know, and I don't want to just focus on the um, the homosexual issue, 
because it's it's multifaceted. But the, the fatherlessness is another huge issue mm-hmm. in our homes. Um, I, I'm actually taking a psychology class right now at a Spurgeon College, and it said that children who grow up in fatherless homes are so much more likely to have early premarital sex. You know, so so you have that breakdown in the home that not only affects the adults in the home, but the children. And then you have that next generation. So generation by generation, family is less important. And it, and family becomes more of a fluid idea as opposed to a structured, settled, um, mm-hmm. forever type situation. So I would have to say that any attack on the family, and that includes homosexuality um, and a breakdown in a biblical marriage, the whole nine yards, is going to be the lar- the biggest thing that we need to unite against. And that means calling out heretical preachers and churches in our area. Yeah, and I'm 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 with yeah. you, and I know Ben is too on that because it's so crystal clear in the scripture. Amen. I mean, yeah. In the opening pages of Genesis, mm-hmm. male and female. Amen. Um, one man, one woman, one covenant for life, right? So yep. so easy to understand. And yet the church can't not even get together on that today. Yep. On That's such right. a fundamental issue. And not all Israel is Israel. That's right. <laughs> so right. I mean, something so basic and so simple as that. Ben, you pointed out differences of interpretation, but there comes a point where Hey, you're just twisting this thing like a stretch Armstrong to where it doesn't even say what it's doesn't even mean what it says anymore, right? right? You want to tee off on that? Uh, you look yeah. like you're ready to go. You yeah. Know? Well, I had to think about. It. I mean, it's a good question because there are so many problems and issues right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to, to put your finger to, on yeah, just like one. It, but it's easy to play whack a mole and just you know this thing's bad, this thing's attacks. Sometimes know. I do that when I preach. I, think, I just go from one to another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, one, one of the things that I've heard uh, Al Mohler say several times recently that I agree with is the argument that he's making right now is about ontology. You right. know, of, now Define uh, that for our listeners so that may it, not be familiar with I that I think term. the simple definition, you might correct me on this, but is basically... No, Terry, he would be the one yeah. to help you. Basic, basically, uh, it's the study of reality or... or being, uh, uh, what know, has being. being. Yeah. yeah, and so underneath everything like like you look at crt you look at the lgbt movement you look at uh divorce you look at premarital sex you look at um uh the complementarian egalitarian argument you look at all those kind of issues that are in church all of that is resolved with biblical anthropology mm-hmm. if you have a biblical doctrine of man mm-hmm. of of being of who is man uh, it 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 changes the root of all of that, and then all that springs up. So, like all of the all, all the things that we're seeing, those are uh, uh, Terry had a good illustration last week. Those are just the branches on the tree. These are the symptoms, right? These are the symptoms. Gotcha. Really, what's at, what's in the trunk of the tree is is uh, we have, especially in America and in the West in general, we have assumed uh, a definition of uh, humankind without having an actual biblical grounding for it. And so that's created a moving goalpost of I can be whatever I want to be. I define myself. I have my own identity. Um, marriage is whatever I want it to be. All that goes back to truth, too, kind of postmodernism. Stuff. When you right. remove absolute truth from the equation, then right. and so you anything see, you see those things you going together. You can define reality as anything you want it to be. And, so I, and, I think, and I think that's really like when we talk about having conversations about differences is trying to get as far down at the root as we possibly can mm-hmm. because, you know, we all know guys, they'll get in the pulpit every week and 
and preach on a hobby horse about, you know, the gays or, you know, uh, you know, women wearing pants or like, you know, whatever it is that they want to like harp on, you know, every single week. Sure. But then you don't see any real transformation. You don't see people's worldviews being shaped. You don't see any of that. Why? Because underneath of that is like, okay, if you want to talk about ontology, the study of being, uh, there is one that has been in existence before any human being, and that's God. And because he has made everything, he defines everything. So, like, he, he did not give us permission to decide who we are as people because he created us. So it's like, if you have that at the root, then uh, uh, who you have sex with, God has something to say about that right. and when you can do that. That's right. Uh, when you get decide to get divorced, God has something to say about marriage and divorce. Mm-hmm. He has something to say about your gender identity. He has something to say about your sexual orientation. All of a sudden, uh, when you realize that you are a created thing, you lose this this uh, radical autonomy that we have in society to just make that's right. make your own adventure, um, and I think that's really you know. And of course, I would argue that the way that we take people that is preaching the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. You know, the more that we the more that we preach a sovereign God, and the more that people submit themselves to that, the more that a lot of those things become resolved because they realize, as Paul said, you especially for believers, right? You're, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. That's right. And mm-hmm. so you belong to him now and you are who he says you are. Um, and I think that solves like this, like the CRT issue, you know, we dealt with Everything that with the SBC. We dealt with that. that. We talked right. about uh, those kind of things, you know, and everybody got mad, you know, at this last meeting in Nashville because, well, they didn't say CRT in the thing that they did. Okay. That's great. That's like a you're trying to kind of legislate a worldview by getting them to come out with statements specifically against that. CRT isn't your problem. Thinking that uh, God doesn't tell you who you are and how the world works is your problem. Right. That's the right. real problem. Well, and, and the true value of humanity is seen most beautifully when we follow God's design. And if we look at that, then it really is God's uh, valuing us when we live according to his plan. When we live outside of his plan, we basically degrade ourselves to garbage. I mm-hmm. mean, we devalue ourselves. Um, you know, you think you think of a young man who has multiple partners um, before marriage, and, and then you talk to him and you ask him, you know, uh, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to have emotion and passion for other people? And they become numb mm-hmm. because they have they have degraded their own bodies um, because they've forsaken the Romans beautiful design. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So they, they've they've forsaken God's design in pursuit of them being their own God, and in you know the result of that has been them, you know, degrading their own bodies and, and devaluing themselves. I mean, everyone wants to be valued and loved, and I think that the beautiful thing about Christianity is it's the only worldview where we can truly explain why human life is is valuable. Mm-hmm. We, we we're the only ones that can truly. Uh, foundationally speak to the fact of why it's wrong to kill a child in its mother's womb, why it's wrong to euthanize a 95-year-old who's in a rest home. We are the only uh, ones who can do that from a biblical, from a, a truly foundational basis. And I think really, like like you were saying, Ben, I think if we look at it from that perspective, Creator, He's the only one qualified to tell mm-hmm. me how to live my life. I'm not qualified to tell myself how to live my own life. I'm a fallen, sinful creature. I mm-hmm. need God to tell me these things because I'm not infinitely wise like He is. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's the, the the direction that we should hit these things from. And from a foundational point, then everything else filters through that, and everything else begins to kind of fall into place and make sense. Yeah. So 
you know, one thing that I'm hearing from you guys is that, uh, yes, these battles are worth fighting. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, like, for instance, the CRT issue. You mentioned that that came up in the Southern Baptist Convention. And if you keep up with all the drama in the SBC, it's like, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's a full-time job. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, like watching like, a soap opera. It really is. You know? I'm and, wearing my Great Commission Baptist shirt today just to trigger any of you. Uh, so that that man. the CRT <laughs> issue is something that, of course, That's came, microaggression, came think, right? to huge um, c- critical weight or whatever you want to call it in 2020 after George Floyd killings and Floydapalooza, which came to a town near you where there was all kinds of destruction and debauchery mm-hmm. that took place oh, in the co- streets. COVID didn't spread in those situations. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, that's a battle that really I don't think the church saw coming. Um, maybe a few mm-hmm. thinkers, a few people like on in, on the inside track, I think maybe Vody Bauckham saw it coming. Maybe a couple others who were um, in the upper echelons of Christian leadership and Christian thought knew that that was coming. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I had to do a deep dive into CRT. People didn't think it was going to come to Western North Carolina. Because yeah. I didn't even know what it was until right. 2020 blew up, and then I had to educate myself so I could help my people think through it. So that's an example of a battle that just kind of, boom, just sort of blew up. And, you know, if you weren't prepared for that, you were just knocked back and not not being able to think through that. Um, so have you guys dealt with that, um, in your churches? Have you dealt with that, um, um, with your people? Uh, has that come up as an issue? What specifically CRT? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got college students that have come to me and said, listen, I'm getting this shoved down my throat every single day in school. I'm thinking about quitting school because I'm getting more of an education on on social political theory than I am on my actual major. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I, uh, and, and then the question comes, like what you're saying, what do I do? You know, what do I do when I when I'm told that you know if I accidentally misgender somebody, I might be the the director of diversity at my university, mm-hmm. which is a position might. Uh, somebody can file a claim for a hate crime against me because I accidentally misgendered somebody. Like, what do I do as mm-hmm. a Christian? Like when, when, when I'm in class and they ask me for my opinion on something and I have a radically different worldview than everybody else. And they have the ability to discipline me for, for saying Having anything against it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ironically so I, enough. I've dealt yeah. with it in, in the sense that I've got parents with children in public school. And if your children are in public school, you really need to be watching what is being taught, what the curriculum is. And they came to me saying, hey, look, here's the curriculum statement. This is what our children are being taught in public school. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And having to uh, equip myself first so that I could teach the parents to say, hey, uh, here's what this means. And right. here's what you need to be teaching your children. Yeah. Um, so where the where the rub comes in is, of course, all 2020 explo- exploded, and then CRT was shoved in our faces, and then you see the church going along with it. Woke church. You see so many pastors um, going alongside of it, repenting of their white privilege or uh, promoting uh, CRT BLM books for their people to read so that they can go along with the uh, agenda and get woke themselves. And so that's caused a division, another division within the church where 
one church will look at another and say, well, they're not woke enough, or they haven't really dealt with their white privilege, or you know, they're stuck in the past. They're holding us back from progressing. Mm-hmm. So that's a battle that we're currently wrestling with in the church, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. Do you guys? I mean, here's here's something th- to me that's probably the most disturbing part specifically about the CRT thing is uh, we've seen so many guys, and even in the circles that I run in, that their their doctrine is, like, very orthodox. I mean, if you ask them about the confession of faith that they believe in, uh, uh uh, even even with you know the gospel itself, what they believe the gospel is like like there's this tendency to say, well, if somebody's CRT, they're just like totally apostate, just deny scripture, deny mm-hmm. the gospel, deny orthodoxy, and they don't. The, mm-hmm. the thing that the thing that terrifies me is like I'll read a book that's like one of the most solid doctrinal books on a subject that I've ever read, and then I'll watch that guy say something on YouTube that's just totally off the rails, and I'm like, how is this the same person? That is, like you said, they're they're basically accusing somebody of being a racist in their mm-hmm. church, and yet they're writing this other thing about the church, about membership or whatever, that's just, uh, you know, phenomenal. And it's like, how do you end up with this? And like I said, I think it's an ontology problem, mm. because that's what all your doctrine's built on. So, so if you... You can get all of your, you know, we can use the words, right? You can get your ecclesiology right, your eschatology right, your soteriology right, your theology proper right. You can go down to systematic theology and get all that right, and you can get the doctrine of man wrong, and it's like it poisons the well. Mm. And and that's the thing that bugs me is it's like I'll see guys say stuff, and I'm just like, okay, it's not biblical for you to just assume that this person is a is a racist because of the color of their skin. That is racist that for you to do racism. that. That is racism. Thank you. It's racist for you to do that. And yet at the same time, I love your book over here on this. You know, like, <laughs> um, it's, it, and that, that to me, that's been the hard thing. Especially, I think it eventually affect, though, the other uh, theological views they have in those other uh, points but we're of theology. A, we're I a walking contradiction, too, right? We're a bundle of... Right. of a flesh yeah. and spirit, right? Uh, eventually, so, it'll infect the whole thing. Yeah. But but, you know? but here's the interesting thing for me, because you know I've I've tried to think about this a lot, especially being in the reform community, because the reform community prides itself often sinfully on being intellectual, right, and theological. Of we're the ones that have all the straightened out doctrine because we've got all these great writers and Puritans and all these people that you know figured it all out. And so we have this intellectual pride of like, you know, well, you know, that person's saved. They're, they're just not as smart as I am. That's that's a, a thing. I, let's, let's be mm-hmm. real. I mean, that's the right. kind of the generalization that people have. And yet there's just as many, if not more, big name reform guys that are going totally woke off the deep end. Yeah. That wrote the book on, you know, church elders or church government or on the Puritans or on this church history thing or whatever. And the thing, the thing, the reason why I think that is, is uh, they spent so much time on the doctrine of God and on soteriology and these others. They don't have a holistic theology and they didn't spend enough time on the doctrine of man in the reform community. And so I think there was a weakness there that Satan's exploited of letting the world tell you who man is instead of mm-hmm. uh, letting God tell you. Mm-hmm. Well, Ben, I think too, I mean, and Derek, I think uh, CRT is just illogical. It's just, if you think through it mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a real way, it becomes illogical. Um, don't tell me that my white children are racist. 
inherently racist. Don't tell me that we live in systemic racism when minority groups in the United States are more wealthy and have more opportunities than any other society on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. When we've had a black president. And we've had a black president. The I only, mean, literally, the, the highest office of the The only land. way that that happens is why people have to vote for him. Amen. <laughs> Not trying to be political. No, I'm just pointing out right. the obvious. Like, but you're come right. on, let's think about this it's a little illogical. bit. illogical. And what it is is it's 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 not an, an objective truth. It's, mm-hmm. it's relative. It changes with the wind. And I think, you know, the problem, the problem is, is I think, it, again, it keeps going back to there's no foundation in our society anymore. Mm-hmm. There, there's no foundational understanding of truth. And when that happens, I mean, it will change every single day. And the appetite of the left, the political left, the political uh, liberals will get bigger and bigger. You think, when will we reach a place where they are satisfied? We won't. It won't happen. There's no such mm-hmm. thing. And uh, that, that's where it all goes back to. And I think with even with um, the George Floyd thing, they turned a, a, a convicted criminal into a hero. Mm-hmm. Now, that's illogical. Okay, you, you, you've turned him into a hero that you would say you want your children to be like. I don't want my children to be like a criminal. I'm sorry that the man died, and I think the way that he died was wrong. Mm-hmm. But I don't want my children to grow up to be George Floyd. Right. He's not a hero. And I think it goes back to it is illogical. Um, you know. And, well, and, and the other thing yeah. is, is, is look at the black voices that are being silenced. Mm-hmm. Right. We've, right. Got, we've got guys. I, I watched, there's a panel discussion from like 2014. You can mm-hmm. go look it up on YouTube. It was an ERLC panel discussion. It had like Tabidian Ablule. It had, uh, I think, um, Eric Mason was on there. I don't remember several, several black mm-hmm. pastors and they had Vody Bakum on there and they just roasted that Vody for like two hours because he wasn't woke. Because mm-hmm. he had a voice and he has his yeah. own opinion. And, he and, and so you're things. telling me that this man who has a doctor, doctorate, right, mm-hmm. who is, Leading a seminary who has written prolific, prolifically and has and has this ministry that it, basically you're saying exactly what the president said, which is you're you're not black. Right. He's not black because he doesn't think the way that we have said that black people See, should it's, think. It's relative truth. That's that's racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you know? now someone with dark skin is not black because they don't feed into the narrative of the left. Right. Be, because what they're saying is is being black is an ideology. Correct. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's, it, not, and it's not and it's not about skin color, and That's so right. they're saying that you know you can have and the LGBT community does the same thing, right? right? That like whatever you do in your bedroom is is it's not really about that. They don't care about that. It's whatever ideology you attach yourself to. That's right. And then you have allies who are people that maybe don't have the same attractions that you do, but they mm-hmm. support you, and so they get a free pass because they're an ally. Right. Which is why at Pride Month, every company wants to come out with rainbow everything. They could care less about somebody in the LGBT community. They don't care about but they're going to get. You that mean Target money. doesn't care? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Target yeah. doesn't care at all. You walk in Target in the month of June, it's like an assault. Yeah. yeah. Go 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 to China <laughs> during Pride Month everywhere. and see how many companies have, have a have a pride flag out in China. Exactly. Not one. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. and it the whole idea of wokeness and um the whole ideology completely contradicts our experience here in America. We have so many people who complain about how terrible the country is, mm-hmm. how awful it is to live here. And yet, okay, if that's true then why are people coming here by the droves because they want a chance at yeah. opportunity and freedom and liberty and 
go try that mentality. Because Facebook said there was a hole in the border. Yeah. <laughs> go try that mentality in China, North yeah. Korea, yeah. Sudan, Iran. Right. Yeah, no, nobody's trying to get in there. See nope. how that works. They don't they don't have they don't have a border patrol at North Korea like, hey guys, sorry, we're all full. You can't come in. Like nobody's doing that. But yet we're colonial racist. Yeah. You know, right, our yeah. nation is uh, is based upon colonial racism, yeah. is what they're teaching our children. Well, I, so I, we, not we, we should feel bad for that. I have yeah, a good you know? friend I have a good friend who's yeah. from Central America. He just became a citizen a couple weeks ago, went through Good that process, which by the way, it's not an easy process. No. I mean, he knows more about America than I do now, yeah. as far as history and all that kind of stuff. But he, he, he came through and did that. And it's, and uh, Man, that's awesome. And he can tell you, you know, he's still got family members, people that he loves and cares about, you know, back there, but uh, the opportunity and uh, I mean, he sees being an American citizen as a great privilege, that's you right. know, that uh, of just opening up doors for mm-hmm. him to do things for his family and for the Lord, right. you know, that he just couldn't do other places. And, um, we do, we, we take for granted, sure. you know, we're, we're, nobody's kicking the door in here right now while we're doing this podcast. YouTube yeah. might cancel us, you know, but one, well, can someone tell me why the BLM rallies are just overrun with mad white people? <laughs> You yeah, know what well, I mean, I mean and, that, and the thing that's always Buffalo guy, yeah, who was at the <laughs> Capitol. Yeah. My yeah. my yeah. favorite is like, and I have like I have black friends that have said this. You know, why is it always white liberal women telling me what I should be doing as a black person? <laughs> yes, thank you. Like the yeah. whole i the whole idea of of desegregation, all these kind of things, is for white people to stop telling me what to do, mm-hmm. and now it's just different white people telling me yeah. what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that Good gets point. back to what you said. It's an ideology. It's not really about skin color. It's so, about an ideology. So yeah, and that that hits on something very important. So a lot of these are worldview issues, mm-hmm. and the way we're going to have to deal with them in the church is hit the worldview, help people to understand that it's 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 a religion in a sense mm-hmm. because it tells you it's got an origin story, mm-hmm. it's got a creation myth, it's got a way of atonement, it's got a priesthood, a, it's yeah, got saints, it's all of that got, stuff, all that, yeah, and um trying to help them to to understand the worldview right. and how it contradicts the Christian worldview. Don't you think we need pastors who are willing to be blunt in the pulpit? Yeah, so that's a good lead-in. That's a yeah. good segue. Yeah. So maybe one of the reasons why we're in the mess that we're in is because we've had too many silent pulpits, too many spineless preachers, too many leaders who are more worried about putting butts in seats and yeah. budgets than actually preaching doctrinal truth, or I got to get my book deal, or I got to be the number one church in America, or I can't offend anybody because right. maybe that's the reason why we are in the situation in the church is because we've become a mile wide and an inch deep. I use the phrase that so many churches in America are is a, a rock concert and a TED talk. That's mm-hmm. what you get. Right. You don't actually get somebody opening the Bible and you know verse by verse unpacking the truth and applying it. So question on this is, do you deal with these issues head on from the pulpit? And if you do, how do you do it? Because I know there's probably a lot of uh, maybe some pastors listening out there who said, you know, I'd, I'd like to be courageous. I'd like to be bold on this, but where do I start? Yeah, I think you definitely do. I mean, as we've said before, it's a worldview issue. So as you teach your congregation the Christian worldview, and we can't really assume that all of our congregants understand what a worldview is, much less right. a Christian worldview. So really, I mean, it's it's a matter of the first uh, 12 chapters of Genesis. I mean, who who created us? Who made us? What did he make us to do? Um, what is the problem? Why are we in the trouble we're in? Why is there pain and suffering? You know, it's it's the curse of sin. 
you know, um, even uh, it's, it's crazy enough is that even women's lib is explained in Genesis chapter 3 that one would mm-hmm. desire the authority of her husband. So you have all of these explanations of everyday issues found in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And our churches need to know that so that they can then evaluate from day to day the situations that come their way. What? How can I evaluate this through the Christian worldview and that Christian lens? And we do need to, as we're preaching these sermons, we need to be applying real um, popular culture events, all the above, into our sermons because our people are watching the news. Our people are on social media. So let's bring some of that into it as examples. Mm-hmm. And I think that is going to really help them also be more engaged in the sermons is if we're bringing into that real-world application. Um, you know, Give them an example. So, so your child is, um, is, can, has to confront CRT in their classroom, you know, Parents, this is what you should do. This is how you should handle it. Parents, this is how, what you should teach your children at home. Quit letting the school system disciple your children. You disciple your children. Mm-hmm. So. so you're talking about being just upfront, really bold, and you have to be crystal clear. People do not get vague communication. Mm-hmm. Vague communication does not work in mm-hmm. this society. You have mm-hmm. to be blunt. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to compete for so many other things. Even while they're sitting in your church pew, they have a temptation to look at Facebook while you're preaching. So you no, don't, you don't get to be vague. We don't have. <laughs> They're looking at their Bible app, Ben. But think about this: John, John the Baptist. How vague was he? Mm-hmm. The yeah. Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. You know, um, even even the Peter and the apostles were thrown into prison. Remember, and then um, the Holy Spirit released them, and and they even told the Romans. They said, "I'd rather obey God than men," mm-hmm. you know, as they were wanting to kill them. So we have to be bold. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I personally, um, I'll give you an example. So, last year, the weekend after the weekend after the George Floyd incident, I did a whole message on the gospel and racial reconciliation to try and help the people to think through. Hey, what does the Bible have to say about race? How does the gospel answer that that issue of uh, reconciling people at the cross? Um, and I've done that throughout. I've found it increasingly necessary as the culture has gotten more unhinged and as things have changed at warp speed, I felt the need to, hey, let's take a time out. Even though I'm preaching through the book of Colossians right now or even though I'm preaching through Judges or whatever, let's take a time out and let's just talk about this one issue for a Sunday or two and then we get back to it. Um, I'm finding it increasingly necessary to do that because, you know, People are coming to me with questions, and people are wondering, hey, how do I think through that? Or here's what my kids are facing. Or, hey, somebody at work said this to me, and I didn't know how to respond to them. And that's telling me, the people are telling me, these are the issues that I'm facing. Help me from the Bible. And so uh, we would do well to feed our people that way. Um, And, of course, I preach expositionally just like these guys do, and as you preach through the Bible, you're going necessarily going to come upon passages that are going to intersect right there That's with right. whatever you're dealing with, and it's going to happen naturally. But at the same time, um, it's it's also okay to stop and press pause and say, hey, here's a really important issue that we can't ignore, and we're going to deal with it head on today. Right. And then we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. That's right. Uh, what do you think, Ben? I think, I mean, I would definitely agree with with both of you guys uh, on that, I, you know, I've said before, I said last week, you know, I, I'm a fan of preaching through books. And I think, I think two things that we have on our side as expositional preachers is one, we have the providence of God mm-hmm. because he knows what we need to preach before we do. And so 
many times, pretty much every week as we're preaching through a book. I, I couldn't have planned six weeks ago or six months ago of what the message was going to be on that week, but it just lands right where people need to hear it. And that's just the providence of God. That's not my good planning. So we have that in our favor. But the other thing is going all the way back around to the beginning of what I said, there's only one interpretation of scripture. It's it, it's, it says what it says and mm-hmm. it means what it says. And we can use language to understand what it says as far right. as the plain meaning of the text, the mm-hmm. perspicuity of scripture is that doctrine. We, anybody can understand the basic meaning of a text. But there are many applications of that text. You can go back and preach the same text four weeks in a row and hit four different things with that of how is that truth being applied to that. So a perfect example was yesterday. We're going through Matthew. We're in chapter 21. And uh, the, you know, the, the Sanhedrin is coming to Jesus right after he cleanses the temple. By what authority are you able to do these things? We didn't ordain you. You know, and his response is, is, well, what authority did John have? Was John's authority from heaven or, or was it from He man? always answers the question with a question. Yeah. <laughs> and I talked about that. He, he always controls the conversation, too. Yeah, He's not a right. punk. Yeah. But, but he, so he puts them on the spot in front of all the people. Well, was John's authority from heaven or was it from you? Mm-hmm. And basically just dunks on them in, in that text. Mm-hmm. But, that, but the, the title of the message was, uh, When Governments Collide. There because the Sanhedrin is represented by the civil government. So what mm-hmm. happens when the government of heaven and the government and the civil government collide with each other and have a disagreement on authority? That's an excellent question. And so you have, we talked about jurisdiction. We talked about sphere sovereignty. We talked about uh, uh, the role of the civil government in the church and vice versa and how those things work together. Well, that's a very, uh, relevant. that's a very relevant mm-hmm. message for right now. If you asked me three weeks ago if I was going to preach on that, I would have said no. I, I can tell you what verses we'll be preaching, but I don't know where we're going to go with it. Right. And yet in looking at that, there's an application there of, okay, Jesus is showing us something that can help us think about our relationship right. with the civil government. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's why you know I didn't have to be topical to get there. The Holy Spirit knew that. That's right. But if you just pick a book and you dig into that, like every book of the Bible it is teaching a biblical worldview because it's consistent because the Holy Spirit inspired all of it. So it really doesn't matter what text you preach. There's a biblical worldview in that text. And it's relevant for today. If you just preach 21, look, it is 100%. Look, the way that the, the church is today, if you just preach the Bible— you're being controversial, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and that's yeah, like you that's like you're saying the Bible. Yes, you are. That's like you're saying the the boldness. I mean, let let's yes. be real. I mean, if you want to pe- make people mad, there's a ton of books you can go. You won't even get through Romans chapter one without somebody. No, that's church. hate speech, man. Just preach the Bible, you know? man. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And that's why too, it's not. It can't be about popularity. That your heart has to be right as a pastor and as you're leading a congregation. You have to have the thick skin, and I like to make people happy. I mean, I'm a people pleaser, mm-hmm. but I've learned. We all like as somebody a, to like us, yeah, right? But yeah, it's just not possible. It's not, and as a lead pastor, eventually you're going to make someone mad. And if you're preaching the Word of God in truth and love, then you have nothing to apologize for, mm-hmm. no matter who gets mad or what they have to say about that. And at the end of the day, when you stand before God, that's well, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. What he, what he, how he's pleased with what you've done. Mm-hmm. You, and, know. you know, Ben, I noticed the same thing that you pointed out the the providence of God in in preaching expositionally. So, you know, last year when I started looking at, looking ahead the end of last year about what I was going to be preaching on this year, I landed on the Book of Judges, and I, 
because well that's family friendly oh yeah (laughs) by the way you want want an r-rated book (laughs) go right there man you don't need to watch netflix (laughs) just read the book of judges that's right i love but anyway i had no idea um that going through judges would be so timely right now because the whole theme of the book is there's no king in the land and everybody did what was right in their own eyes Mm -hmm. well that's american 2021 and uh, live the king yeah and uh (laughs) So I started in on uh, Samson uh, a couple weeks ago, and you know he's a mess, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he was born in in probably the darkest period in in Israel's history there in the Book of Judges, forty years of oppression. And the angel of the Lord comes to Mister and Miss Manoah and says, "Hey, get ready. You've been barren, but you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the deliverer of the people." Not only are there a ton of parallels in there with Christ who's going to be the ultimate deliverer that's going to come Mm -hmm. later. But the application that I saw the Lord making was, hey, this was a terrible time in Israel's history. They were being oppressed. But there was hope, and the hope came through the family, right? You're going to come together, and you're going to raise this child, and this child's going to help deliver you. And I saw that as an application today. Hey, in the there is hope that we can have revival in our churches and in the country, but it begins in the family when mom and dad understand their purpose, their God-given calling to raise up the next generation to go on with the mission that God's given them. So really like what you said, a, a text that I looked at that I thought, uh, you know, I looked at it previously and thought, I don't know, what, what am I going to do with this? But when the Holy Spirit gives you that side, it's like, wow, that is so applicable to today. And you would never think coming from a, an Old Testament book, you would see mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So that's awesome. And uh, when God opens your eyes and helps you to see that, to try and you know, feed the people. Yeah, and that's another reason why we should preach from the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know. Yeah, we are not unhitched, contrary to what some may say who are not present. Yeah. yeah. so a couple more questions i know um we're getting close to the end here on our time but um so let's talk about we we already looked at issues that obviously are non-negotiables that we've got to fight on and fight for what about some of these other uh, secondary tertiary issues where maybe the bible's not so clear on maybe a gray area we might call it where it's causing division, and I've even heard people disfellowshipping over politics mm-hmm. because they can't they can't stand to be with somebody who voted a different way than they did, or um, they can't be there because of masks or because this person's not vaccinated or right. whatever. Uh, some of these other other issues. What 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 in your idea is significant enough to to break that fellowship over and? Um, how do we approach that and think biblically about those issues maybe where the Bible isn't so crystal clear on? I think a, a church's statement of faith is it plays out huge in mm-hmm. that. You know, um, a lot of Southern Baptist churches choose to uh, adopt the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as their uh, statement of faith and their, their confessional uh, beliefs. However, at Pole Creek, we decided not to do that because— um, we are historically a, a dispensational premillennial church, so we felt that it was important for that to be a part of our statement of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, so so if if someone were to come in with possibly a different uh, a type of uh, that view, you know, whatever it may be, then 
we would be able to say, well, if you're going to to teach that, you need to understand that that's not the belief system of our mm-hmm. church, and that would hopefully stave off some of those divided screen division. a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think a a a detailed statement of faith is important for a church. I, I don't mm-hmm. think a generalized statement of faith is doing anyone any good. Of course, you still can't cover everything, right? But I think that helps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think? I mean, we've done the similar. So we have Baptist Faith and Message, mm-hmm. New Hampshire Baptist Confession, and then uh, we're working on an update. Well, ours is updated a little bit. Like it has a whole thing on sexual orientation and all that. Yeah. But eventually we'll add in like uh, Danvers, Dallas, Chicago, like several of the other statements that have come to kind of strengthen that doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, it's, the, it's the same way. I mean, like, for instance, you know, technically, according to our statement of faith, uh, we wouldn't let uh, someone who is baptized as an infant come and take the Lord's Supper because mm. they're not baptized. Okay. Um, so, I mean, even things like that where, you know, if somebody wanted to come in membership and, well, you know, I grew up Methodist or whatever, well, that's fine, but you need to be baptized. And if right. they say, well, I already was baptized, we would say, no, you're not. Right. Um, right. Because we're conventionally yeah. Baptist, right? Now, does that mean that that person's not in the family of God? No. Right. But you do got to draw lines, and I and I think I think there's two extremes you can go to. You have you have the kind of ecumenical type interfaith people that are like, you know, unity is so important, and and uh, why can't we all just get along? Well, I get along just fine with Presbyterians and and Methodists. I have friends that are both, or mm-hmm. friends that are Lutherans or whatever. I get along with them. I think they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but we're not in church together. That doesn't mean I hate them or, or that, uh, right. uh, I think that they're, that they don't love the word of God or that they're, they're not, they don't believe a true gospel. It doesn't mean those things, but, but there is enough of a difference that we're, we're just not going to be able to be as effective together as we are separately. Right. And I What's think that verse in Amos, how shall two walk together unless they agree? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so I think it's, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's the same way. I'm not dispensational or premillennial. Right. 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 So if I was going to go to Paul Creek, I might go and say, well, Hey, the preaching is really biblical here. And the, and uh, there's a good church family here and they've got things sure. going on and that's yeah. great. And there's nothing wrong with, with attending there being, I've had uh, uh Dennis has uh, preached in, in the pulpit in my church sure. and he and I disagree on that. Sure. And he didn't make it an issue when we were there of division. Respect and the you. same way, if I if I would go and preach at another church, I'm asking where they're at. I'm not going to go in there and, and dr- throw in a hand of grenade and let the pastor deal with it after <laughs> I leave. You know, the old me used to do that, but right. I'm I'm a little older and wiser uh, mm-hmm. since doing that. But I think as far as that that division goes, um, there are some things that we don't have to divide over. Like our church does not have a position on eschatology, right? So we've got people with several different views, you know, in, in our membership. And so usually when we teach, we teach a multiple views approach of cool, here's the yeah. way that multiple people understand this. You need to study the scriptures for yourself and come to a conclusion. And here's a good book on each one of these views that you can read. And so we resource people with that because, again, uh, we can all be uh, working towards uh, proclaiming the gospel and fulfilling the Great Commission and be in different positions on those kind of That's things. Right. Whereas when it when it comes to re- really kind of like ecclesiological matters like baptism, church membership, uh, things like that. If you're going to be in a local church together, you got to have some common ground. And in that case, it's it's actually a good thing to divide. Now, when you look at things like like uh, mask and vaccines, where it gets into like the health arguments, that's again that's an ontological problem, right? Because really, the debate debate just like we talked about last week is this expert culture of my expert says that mask and vaccines are good, and the other person says, well, my expert says that mask and vaccines are not good. So then there's a battle of the experts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and really what it comes down to is that ontology. Uh, but what has God said? 
God has said that the world is made in a natural way, that the laws of logic exist, that we can use those along with the scientific method, which is given to us by God to determine empirically what happened. In mm -hmm. other words, don't ask an expert, look at actual, uh, I, I'm going to say, uh, statistics or research and not science. Cause that word's been kind of like stolen now. Yes. You know, the science capital, F. all the science. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm saying follow the science, but what I mean is don't follow Real the science. scientist and yeah. don't follow a, a scientism worldview. If you follow the science, also follow the money. Yeah. Right. That's right. But, that's right. but, yeah. that, but that's, yeah. that to me, that's where you get unity on that. Where's mm -hmm. the unity on mask and vaccines? The unity is right. this for one, we should be charitable to each other. I don't know that person's health. I don't know their conversation with their doctor. I don't know right. uh, what they need to do. I want them to be safe and do everything that they need to do to be safe. And sure. I know my own limitations of whether I, should wear something or, or what my doctors recommended to me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I have to follow my conscience. That person has to follow their right. conscience. I don't need them to agree with my conscience on those issues. I That's need, right. I need them to do what's best for them. So it needs to be charity there on those things. But if there is a conversation, which I think on something like that, it's not super helpful from the pulpit to be, you know, preaching science, but how many people do you see sitting down at the table and saying, all right, we've got 15 studies here, peer reviewed studies by scientists, They've listed out their bias, which they're required to do if they're paid for by a pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. or whatever. Let's lay it out on the table and let's look look at the numbers and look at the research and see if we can come to an agreement would, of these people should or shouldn't or, or would whatever. Would you maybe let like a majority rules type situation play out? You know, if the majority of your congregation is not okay with masks, don't make mask mandatory in worship, provide another area maybe for those who want to wear masks only? I think... That wouldn't really happen in our church because of our polity. Okay. Um, I mean, that would be something that, that really our elders would decide to do. But y'all probably would not go against the majority of the church on a non-biblical issue. Not not unless we felt like um, it was harmful to them spiritually. Right. Like, right. like for instance, if, if I thought that the majority of my church was making a decision on any of these things— that was primarily fear-based or that was causing them to have a fear that was actually damaging their relationship with God, then I would say I would have a spiritual responsibility right. to shepherd them in a different direction. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think the culture of your church matters in those kind of decision-making oh, processes? Sure. For sure. Because, yeah, you know, some churches, inner-city churches, I mean, they're predominantly, they're all going to wear masks. And they're right. going to expect everyone to wear masks. Country churches, you know, you're not going to have that. You're going to have more of that free spirit that says, "No, don't tell me what to do." Well, the, yeah, you I know? mean, there's uh, demographics, the mm -hmm. the, so, the socioeconomic status of the membership, mm -hmm. the level of education. I mean, it's it's very clear. All those things do matter, and that's why I think too. You know, as a Baptist, I support the autonomy of the local church because Amen. I can't tell yeah. you, I don't know the people in your church, that's and right. I don't yeah. know that situation, and I can't say, "Well, y'all need to follow this policy." Right. We've right. actually come out with an official COVID response policy as a church of here's our basically our theological statement on COVID of what we believe about it as a church and how we're going to respond to it as, mm -hmm. a, as elders and as a church. And we've given that to the, to our people and have said, just for clarification, this is where we are on mm -hmm. these issues. Right. And, and we've tried to make it thoroughly biblical so that it's not contentious and people even with different opinions can agree on that statement. Right. Right. And right. we try, we try to provide that for them. That's good. But that's for my people. I can't yeah. give that to your church. You know, I don't I don't know what the conversations right. are like. And I think most people, if they know that you are trying to provide for their needs, they're going to respect that. Mm -hmm. You know, at Pole Creek, we've tried to provide a, a situation, a worship environment for people of all different viewpoints. You know, we have a satellite area where it's masks only. 
uh, mandated. Of course, we have our online situation that people can stay home and watch. And then in our auditorium, we don't mandate masks, but we tell everyone, if you want to wear a mask, please wear a mask. You are welcome right. to do that. We provide, we even provide them for you. Majority of our folks, though, are not going to wear a mask. So yep. it'd be counterproductive for me to try to implement something like that um, based upon the majority in the cult, the majority of our people in the culture of our church. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah, no, I was just going to bounce off that and say yeah. we we kind of have the same demographic too and, and right. took the same approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, our church is smaller, so our set of problems is probably going to be smaller than yours mm-hmm. and the challenges that you face. But I found a great a way to approach that uh, by looking at Romans 14 okay. where Paul talks about, um, you know, some go and observe this uh, festival and some eat this kind of meat and some don't eat that kind of meat. And basically he's saying in that passage, Hey, take it easy, mm-hmm. have a little grace, yes. give them freedom. Don't judge them. That's good. And That's so good. I felt like that was instantly applicable um, when we were forming our, our COVID position. Hey, look what Romans 14 says. Right. Paul was dealing with this in the, in the issue of his day with, with meat and festivals and, Hey, is it okay to eat this? It is. A, is it okay to go to, to this event? And I found that a good parallel with COVID in that saying, hey, we need to respect each other's position, understanding that we don't know all of their medical history. That's don't right. judge them. Love them. Be understanding. Be, be humble. Be patient. Uh, and don't try and force something on somebody. Um, and as uh, the old quote goes, you know, in essentials, unity. Mm-hmm. In, in non-essentials, liberty, Diversity. Yeah, yeah, and in all things, charity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I felt like, hey, we're wrestling over this issue, and Paul wrote about 2,000 years right. ago. If we would just read our Bible, we could find that, hey, it's not as hard as we might think it is. Mm-hmm. And if we love each other, we're going to be patient and long-suffering with each right. other. Right. If right. we really care about our brothers and sisters, you know, when we make it a political thing or an argument, we're really saying we don't. I care more about myself than I care about you, mm-hmm. and then that's a spiritual issue, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's important to to keep that at the forefront that it's not really about me; it's about your brother and your sister. Mm-hmm. How can I encourage them and lift them up, and how can I aid them in their relationship with Jesus? So, I think in closing, one thing that we need to remember going forward is. Satan, like that quote that I gave at the beginning, Satan loves a church fight. There's nothing more that he would love to do than to take an effective gospel preaching, um, you know, reaching church and totally paralyze them and cripple them mm-hmm. with conflict. Oh, yeah. And there's so many landmines out there, so many conflicts that we could get wrapped up in in the church. We need to ask ourselves, okay, where's this coming from? Is this a satanic attack? Which it may very well be. If it is, we need to understand that, that our battle isn't with each other. You're not my enemy and you're not my enemy, right? Satan's my enemy. And my real mission is the Great Commission and staying on point with that because we can shoot and destroy each other all day and not get anything done. That's right. And I think a lot of the things that have been foisted upon the church have that satanic backing to it for sure where it's meant to paralyze and make the church ineffective mm-hmm. that's right i agree yeah so um we love you guys we hope that this podcast was a blessing to you maybe it shed some light on some things and uh, hopefully will help us going forward will the church uh, ultimately get rid of 
the disunity and the fighting? Probably not here on the earth because we're we're always going to be in that sinful body. But that's the uh, that's the hope of heaven, right? When when we are together with Christ, is that we'll see things the way that He does, and there'll, there'll be no no fighting or discord. Then He wipe away all tears and make everything new. That sounds pretty good to me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. 